0: Hello, hello. It is a wonderful Sunday in Chicago. I'm Mary Morton. You're listening to Living Out Loud, and my special, special co-host today is the lovely Francesca Royster. Welcome. Thank you, Mary. I'm so excited to be here. I am very excited to have you here because we're going to talk about something that I rarely talk about um, because I, you know, I, I, I... been known to say I'm not a huge fan of country music, although I am moving. I'm moving to the right on that. Uh, moving to the, left. to the left. Moving to, to the, the left. left. Not Always to the right. To, to the left. Mainly to the left. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Mainly to the left. Uh, but we are going to talk about um, your new book. You've actually had two books that have come out in the last couple of years. So we'll yes. talk about both of those. But we're going to focus on your new book, which is titled
1: Black country music, listening for revolutions. That's
0: right. And a little bit later, we're going to be joined by Willa Taylor, who is a country music enthusiast. I think when we were doing the uh, the short video before, I said you, were, <laughs> I said she was a country enthusiast. Didn't yes. Maybe she is as well. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case, let's start by talking a little bit about our background, yeah. as we do for our seg, our first segment here. And we were just. Trying to think back, when did we meet? Well, we're we're definitely in similar
1: circles around activism yeah. with young people. Yes. So I believe we met um, when Women and Girls Collective Action Network, Women and Girls Can, um, yes. was doing its work with young people mm-hmm. around social justice yeah. and kind of training young mm-hmm. people to
0: be activists. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that is where we met some extraordinary people uh, like. Um, Aparna Sharma.
1: Yes, Aparna.
0: Uh, who I miss uh, very much, um, yeah. as well as Ace Hilliard. Yes, yeah. wonderful Ace. Yes, Ace, who has done incredible things and was in my documentary, Woke Up Black, uh, went on to finish school at uh, Madison and Wisconsin, mm-hmm. uh, University mm-hmm. of Wisconsin in Madison, and um, went to grad school and is now um, working in programs at University of Um of Wisconsin and married and just living the life, Yeah, living really the life. So really excited that. for them and all that they're doing. And, yes, we absolutely met there because I was looking for folks for my documentary for Woke of Black. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I remember doing that and, and meeting you at that time. And tell us a little bit about your background. Um, were you born in Chicago?
1: Yes, I was born in Chicago on the south side, went to Michael Reese Hospital. Okay, that and, is south side. Uh, yes, south side, pure south side. Um, we lived in Bronzeville and Chatham. Um, And still have family that live there now. But um, my family moved to Nashville when I was maybe three or four. Nashville. Um, My dad was also an English professor and um, was teaching at Fisk. Okay. Yeah. So we all um, loaded up the trip and went to
0: Nashville. And is that where you started to fall in love with country music? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely part of the
1: atmosphere. Even if you didn't love country music, it was like the morning show had this amazing country band. There were com- all the commercials, mm-hmm. field trips to um, the set of Hee Haw and to Ockrey You know, all these different things. So it was definitely part of the environment. And I, you know, I loved some of the classics like um, Johnny Cash mm-hmm. Allie Parton and you know this is the 70s yeah. so there was also like country pop and country you know, pop okay yeah, you know Glenn Campbell okay yes okay I didn't co- realize that was a term politic. called country pop okay I guess they called it countrypolitan that was it. oh okay so you know a smoother kind of Peppier mm-hmm. kind of country music mm-hmm. and um, Mac Davis and who else? Chris Christofferson. Oh my goodness, like okay. So, yeah.
0: So, Chris Christofferson was doing country music. That's not how I know Chris Christopherson. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he actually um, also wrote songs and he was a songwriter as well as, you know, recording country, kind of this countrypolitan country, alt country also. So, um, he was definitely a part of that scene in Nashville wow, as well.
0: Wow, okay. So you are living in Nashville for a while, mm-hmm. and then you come back to Chicago.
1: Yes, we come okay. back
0: to Chicago um,
1: in time for the blizzard of 1980.
0: Weren't you so, so fortunate to be here?
1: <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, so Chicago has always been home, even mm-hmm. when we lived in Nashville. We'd come back a couple of times a year. And my family and I came back, and I went to high school at Kenwood and oh, yes. Kenwood Park, mm-hmm. and um, and then once I hit college, it was back to rural spaces. So I went to Kansas State or semi rural,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, and so that that was also a kind of country music kind of place and a place where I developed my love of cowboy boots.
0: Okay, so. yes, and you have okay. We just uh-huh. let's just stop for a moment and okay. say that you have an extraordinary collection. I really do. Of I've cowboy seen. boots. How many How many do you have? Let's just go for it. Um, I think I have 24 pairs wow. right now. And they're all pretty gorgeous. Thank you. Thank I you. mean, from what I've seen, and particularly the ones that have purple in them, which yes. of course are my favorite. I love those. I have the inner circle. I have ones that are really
1: wearable where I can walk in them, and then I have a few that are just really for show. For but, show.
0: And do you just try them on occasionally, or you don't even do that?
1: I, I try them on occasionally. Sometimes I take pictures, okay. hang out. Cece and I wear the same. My daughter Cece and I wear the same shoe size right really? now, so sometimes she'll wear them and yeah, nice. just play with them. Nice. No,
0: it's <laughs> it's gorgeous, and do they have a special place in the house? They and- do. They have a special shelf where I can just take a look at them. Okay. Makes me feel less guilty if I oh can my look at goodness, them. that's lovely. I I love that. I mean, I have a. I have my shoes in a variety of places, but I do have a room where all my clothes are. Oh, yeah. Uh, So that's very nice. I I converted a a bedroom into a closet. So, you know, just, you know, it it (laughs) helps. Um, Okay, so back to university life. So you went to Kansas. Yes. For undergrad. For undergrad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I went to UC Berkeley for grad school. Okay. And And why? Why did you go out there? Well,
1: you know, I was, um, or I am a literature person, and it was like a top place for literature. But I also thought that there's something about the Berkeley history and sensibility, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a hippie. Oh,
0: it ab- yes, absolutely. All that <laughs> progressiveness
1: um, really appealed to me. Uh-huh. So it was, um, yeah, just a wonderful department. There were some great uh, people working in English and African-American studies. It was just like a really exciting place to be. Okay. And um, a lot of people... Don't want to leave once they're yes. <laughs> once they're there. Yes. So I had a lot of friends who just kept, you know, making dissertations, mm-hmm. go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. But I pushed pushed myself out, of my parents really
0: pushed me to do <laughs> They said, "Okay, so you're moving on." Like, and then, okay. and where did you go from uh, Berkeley?
1: Um, from Berkeley, I went to Penn State in State College, PA, and that was, a, you know, a first job always has a few bumps in the road. Mm-hmm. But I kind of it became clear to me that I really wanted to live in a city and. Chicago was my number one place that I wanted to get back to and
0: you wanted to teach
1: and I wanted to teach. I knew I wanted to teach, but um but I really wanted a place that had a more um kind of progressive uh, um like commitment to mm-hmm. social justice. And so DePaul was like the perfect combination because it um you know has it's smaller the classes are smaller it has the liberal college of liberal right. arts has a really nice right. warm feeling to mm-hmm. it um, but it also is interested in connecting to the city and um, giving professors and classes a chance and their students a chance to connect to the city
0: and you have been at DePaul for 25 years 25 it's years it's just incredible well congratulations <laughs> thank you it kind of has gone fast. It's yeah. gone fast yeah yeah absolutely and and have you noticed this is I mean I, I think one of the things that comes to to mind when you think about someone who's been at a particular um, university for 25 years is the change you've seen in your students.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, for one thing, I mean, that's why I love teaching, is that the mm-hmm. students are always changing. I feel like I'm not completely I can't completely get cut off from the social changes in the world because the students really won't let you call you on it. That's right. Um, Especially like right now in terms of conversations around gender and sexuality. Like I I think um, the students are always teaching me uh, what's going on. And um, I think that they're much more, especially post-COVID, they're much more. committed to being in school and more purposeful um, even than they were before. I think that um, it's also a really great population in DePaul because we always have a solid group of students who are from Chicago, right. from the city. Um, DePaul always recruits from folks from the city and from Chicago Public intentionally. Schools. Intentionally. Intentionally. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then we have these other streams all over the country. So, um, yeah, so I think it's a really, um, really growing um, Latinx population at DePaul. Um, some African American folks, international students, like I think those are all. Um really exciting populations that are part of depaul right now so, wonderful yeah.
0: well well, tell me how have you brought your activism to the academy, which I'm putting in quotes um how how I mean because that's clear from your bio from even just some of the things you know I know about you and how you do your work, but was that ever a a challenge if you will
1: um it's it's really being at Depaul in particular has been a great space for bringing um activism and um, academic work together. I think that there's really an encouragement for that. Right. Um, some of the kinds of activism that I've been involved in have to do with the connection between art and activism. Like really using art, uh, writing, filmmaking, um, other kinds of visual art um, as a way of, of um, speaking to things that people feel fat passionately about. And so there's always been a space for that. But um, you know really I um, learned a lot from the activism that I did. I ran my first creative writing circle as part of Women and Girls Can, and that in turn um, fed my teaching and um, you know working with inside arts, for example, and working on um, issues of performance art and yes. some of the series mm-hmm. that they used to do. Um, I think they're still around, but you know, I think in, they are in their own yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I also brought that to my class. So it was really a kind of um, nice synchronicity, I think, between the activism and the academic work. And um, yeah, I think it's actually pushed me to be more activist in my teaching Mm -hmm. and to be, to teach more of our classes that, um, like our multiculturalism uh, requirement and things like that, that, are really an important place for connecting to the city and connecting to social justice.
0: Wonderful. Well, we're going to hear more about all of this uh, when we, we're we going to take a short break. And today, instead of house music or a little bit of jazz from Lucy Smith, we're going to be listening to a little a little country music during uh, some of our uh, breaks. And um, you're listening to Living Out Loud. Um, I'm here with Dr. Francesca Royster. And we're back in a moment.
2: People, this is Gina Yashue comedian extraordinaire. And when I'm in the Chicago, I like to hang out with my good friend Mary Morton on her fantastic show, Living Out Loud on WCPT. So listen.
0: Okay, we are back. You're listening to Living Out Loud, and I'm here today with Dr. Francesca Royster. Hi, everybody. <laughs> we are um, we're gonna really delve more deeply into one because she has several books that have been published or a couple of books that have been published in the last two years. But we're going to really delve more deeply into uh, black country music. And I'm curious why you decided to to um, write about this topic. I understand that you were influenced likely by the time you were in Nashville. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah, And um, but I really felt like the story of the black artists and black artistry as a kind of originating force, maybe not the only one, but definitely always there from the beginning, um, just wasn't a history that I'd ever run into or um, really had been taught. Um, and so I thought that there's really an important space for talking about that history and also talking about artists who have worked within this genre um, to innovate and um, push it further and um, as it happened once i started working on this at the same time you know people were coming to the fore and um and also artists who were really interested in the history you know like folks who are going to the archives and making songs about it, like Rihanna Giddens and the Carolina Chocolate Drops, or um, Valerie June was also someone who would go to the archives to um, get older music and really kind of make a bridge between um, older roots music and string band music and contemporary country music.
0: And have you found that there's just, in some cases, misinformation and just lack of information around black folks' involvement with country music.
1: Yeah, I do think that there's both. I I feel like there's like deliberate erasure of black folks' um, involvement in country music. And some of that has to do with the ways that country music was created as a market. Um, Mm. And that marketing of music in the 1920s and 30s was really reflecting Jim Jim Crow segregation systems where uh, there was just this assumption that people wanted their music Representing their racial identity, and there was this, you know, marketing of hillbilly music or what was called hillbilly music to white people, um, race music, and, which included the blues and early R and B to black folks, world music that was kind of this like bigger, um, bigger category, but there was kind of this idea that audiences wanted to hear themselves and wanted to hear their tastes and that this was physically embodied. And so what we receive now in terms of country music being a white genre is really a reflection of some of those decisions, as well as some of the ways that, you know, older traditions like blackface minstrelsy Borrowed and appropriated from black artistry while erasing black people as like the people who had control of the music It's a similar history to what we see in rock and roll as well Oh, where, yes, you know, we're kind of taught that rock and roll is, you know, white music, but it's really like very deeply um, Influenced by, you know, black innovators like sister Rosetta mm-hmm. or Barry and Little Richard, you know, folks like that. So country has a really parallel history
0: and and what was the reaction you received from others as you started doing research? And I'm curious, how long do you do research for a book like this prior well, to actually getting into the the actual writing? Or is it a, a process that is hand in hand as you're writing, you're researching? Or
1: I did, did love I love the research part, mm-hmm. and the research was important to me because I had to, I was really teaching myself and writing about the journey. And as a writer, I try to. Um, take on topics that I don't know about and that I feel sometimes uncomfortable about. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, this really feels like a risky topic. And
0: therefore, you should do it, right? You want to push yourself, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So
1: I, I try to do some research. I did research for probably, you know, two years of reading and really also networking and meeting musicians. Um, for this particular book, I thought it was really important to learn how to play um, some music. Um, I'm, a, I'm not, you know, the best musician, but I learned how to play the banjo. Oh, really? Um, when I learned that the banjo was an African instrument, and I thought no one.
0: Ever I've told never me. heard that before, and it's so yes. prominent in country music because so when I was prominent. looking for, you know, through Creative Commons to look for some music to play, um, I most of it had banjo.
1: Yes, it. absolutely. And for me, the banjo was like the sound of whiteness, which you know now I feel like, wow, that was very purposeful—the the whole erasure oh. of black innovation. Um, You know, the evangelism music that enslaved black people played to entertain each other, um, to entertain white folks. um, And, you know, some of those songs were the prototypes of music um, that then became country music. So our place in it is really never talked about or now it is. But, you know, it wasn't for a really long time. So I yeah. So part of my research was writing about and reflecting on Mm -hmm. you know what it felt like to learn the banjo. I had a terrific teacher Suli Greg Wilson who was a founding member of the Carolina Chocolate Drops.
0: How did you connect with?
1: Well, it was really through the old town school of I folk was, music. Really, that's where I've taken place. my tap classes. Okay, yes, <laughs> they're so wonderful, and yes. they had, um, you know, that I did take some other banjo uh-huh. classes. Um, but then um, they had this special uh, workshop taught by Suli, and Suli is a friend of um, the folks there, and has, you know, been in connection with them for a long mm-hmm. time. And um, so I took the workshop, and it was me and. One other person. Oh, small but class, on, yes, almost like a on, private class. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It was on African traditions and the banjo, and um, so I was like, "Wow, this is so great!" And also, perfect timing. Just yeah. the great, a great chance to talk about the history because he knows the history in a really deep way. And um, then I loved it so much that I ended up. You know, right emailing him and saying, "Sully, would you take me on as a student? I really want to learn more. Um, so I worked with him for about a year uh, on the banjo and I took a class on blackboard per- percussion traditions, too. We did clapping and tap, a little tap dancing, okay, too. OK, OK. Um, and learned how to make a gourd and all these oh, things. Oh, wow. So,
0: I had no idea that. Cl- I've seen that class Publicized, But I didn't realize yeah. it went into that, those kinds of really deep traditions yes. around the yes. instruments.
1: Yeah. And for me, that was like just changed and kind of queered my whole relationship to country music because like I'm using queer in terms of thinking about what's been erased, what is sometimes seen as in excess or outside of things. So to have this background from Suli um, to learn about the history of these traditional instruments of black folk music as a kind of prehistory to country music just shifted the lens and then suddenly it gave me a way to think about country music as a Black-centered form, which, you know, people, it just wasn't available in the books that I read or anything else. So the more that I dug in and the more I learned about the music, um, the more I also realized that I needed to talk to more musicians because they're operating. On a whole different kind mm, of right. frequency than um, like mainstream country music radio. So I met people like Rissy Palmer, who, as it happened, who's a country music star and who, you know, performed on the Grand Opry stage and um, really great things. How um, long ago did they perform? That was in the, the early 2000s. Okay. okay. And Rissy had, yeah, had kind of, a, you know, um, Full steam ahead country music performing life, and then kind of ran into conflicts um, with the ways that her music was being operated, um, um, sorry, marketed. Um, kinds of decisions like, you know, the rep- her own representation, if she's allowed to wear her natural hair.
0: Are you kidding me?
1: Yeah, she's told me all this stuff. And, and so. So, racism, then, essentially. Yeah, racism. <laughs> so we could just, yes. And wow. then eventually, like um, entanglements in terms of whether or not she owned, had rights to her oh, own music. Here we go again with so, that. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So, Rissy ended up, you know, taking a break and. Um, getting out of the music business for a while, but decided that she really wanted to create her own label um, and do independent music. And I think she made an album of children's music. um, And it was just like a passion that she never wanted to completely separate herself from um, because she also loves country music and you can hear it in her music. Um, So she ended up um, creating this podcast, um, Color Me Country Radio, Uh, on Apple Music, and it was inspired by one of her foremothers, uh, Linda Martell, a great older musician, uh, musician from, uh, who was really famous in the late 1960s and made one album, but then kind of got kicked off of her label.
0: But again, in Uh, country music. Country music. Okay. Country Mm -hmm. music. Solid, straightforward country, even charting country music. And these are folks, Um, I just want to say that we, in general, don't hear about, right? We hear about Darius Rucker, who already had a major... You know, um, music background right before he went into country. Yes. Um, We hear about Charlie Pride, Mm -hmm. but women. I I just noticed you've been mentioning all these women women, who we have not heard anything about, or very little, I should say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think
1: I owe so much to Rissy into the show because what she did was to make it her business to teach about the history, to interview people, and um, kind of get the name of Linda Martell out there. Um, So, yeah, she was really a great person to meet. And it it turned out that she went to DePaul for a very small amount of time as well. Another connection. Another connection. Um, But yeah, and um, I didn't get a chance to meet Darius Rucker, which, you know, Darius, if you're out there, I really want to meet you. (laughs) You
0: still are open to that, (laughs) okay. But
1: I had a chance (laughs) to go to his concerts and, you know, talk to other artists. And that's really, um, I think, allowed me to write a book that had different kinds of stories about this history than um, you know what I was encountering in the mainstream.
0: It's really, again, this idea that there's so much history that we are just not aware of. Yes. and if not for, Folks like you, writers like you, we we still wouldn't know because it doesn't. Is anyone else doing this kind of work to raise the profiles and identities of folks who really were contributors to country music? Well,
1: I, I have to uh, mention Alice Randall, okay. who um, has a new book that's coming out in just a few weeks called My Black Country. And Alice Randall is a professor at Vanderbilt. Um, she's also a songwriter in, um, in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And her some of her songs have made it to the charts um as well i think trisha year yearwood has recorded her music okay um but a lot of her music um hasn't some of that work that she's done hasn't been visible so um yeah so she has this book that's coming out now but for um and then there was um there have been people who have also written on um black country music but their books aren't in print anymore so okay. When my book came out, um, it was the only book in print about this history.
0: Well, and the timing with everything happening uh, in this, you know, last several months with Beyonce's song, with yes. Little Nas X. We're going to talk about all that and so much more. We're going to take a short break, um, lots to, to dig into. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have our, our special guest with us, Willa mm-hmm. Taylor, who I believe you talked to for yes. your, your book. I did indeed. All right. <laughs> well, you're listening to Living Out Loud. We'll be back in a moment. It's Mary Morton with Living Out Loud. And here's a little bit about Morton Group, the sponsor of my show. Morton Group is a national consulting firm working with nonprofits, foundations, for-profits, and government entities. Our work helps organizations expand and deepen their impact by working on equity initiatives and executive placements, among other areas of focus. Reach out to us at info at with any questions. And don't forget to listen in on Sundays at 1 p.m. on WCPT, 820 a.m. And we are back. You're listening to Living Out Loud. I'm here with Francesca Royster. Howdy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Let's just go there. Uh, We're talking about black country music today. And um, I just have to say, learning all kinds of, um, you know, information and history that really has not been talked about. So thank you so much for, for, you know, letting us really in this incredible research that you've done for several years. How long did it take you to work on this book? Um... Wow. About seven, seven or eight years. Okay. And so that makes me feel good because I'm working on a book and we're, we're getting painfully close to that time. So so it can be done. Yes, right? Yes. It can be done. Uh, but we're going to um, be joined right now. Uh, and I'll just have full disclosure, this is my spouse, uh, my partner in crime who uh, happens to love, love country music. And I, I, I didn't know that when we first started dating. I You know, maybe I said if I'd known that, that could have changed things, but I don't feel that way now. Okay, it's been 23 years. Um, But um, we want to welcome Willa J. Taylor to Living Out Loud. Hi, Willa. Hi, well, Howdy, y'all. <laughs> okay, we're going <laughs> to go with do. the howdy. <laughs> So, well, uh, just a little bit of uh, background here. You, you know, done many things in your life. Uh, in the last mm-hmm. 16 or so years, though, you were at the Goodman Theater, and you recently right. left the Goodman Theater as the Director of Education, and you have started a new venture, and I'd love for you just to share a little bit about that before we, we talk country music.
2: Sure. I am developing and about to launch a company uh, called Creative Curriculum Ventures. Uh, The idea is to provide arts and arts-based online curriculum for black homeschooling families wonderful.
0: All right, so and we'll That's be great. able to look for that. You'll you'll have a website and all kinds yeah, of fun stuff happening. You'll
2: be happening. able to look for it by the end of
0: March. All right. Wow. All right. We will be we'll, we'll talk about that. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll plug it on the show. I don't know. I can't make any promises. <laughs> uh, but we do want to talk about your love of uh country music. Oh, I yeah. I know that uh Francesca actually interviewed you um and talked to you about yeah. the the you know, for for her book. Um, how did you come to love country music? music.
2: Well, you know, it, it sort of was a natural process because I grew up in Texas uh, mm-hmm. and I grew up in Texas in the, in the 50s and 60s and pretty much that was all there was until rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so it was everywhere. And my grandmother, my nana, uh, for whom I'm, I am named, loved the Porter Wagner and Dolly Parton show. And so that was that was uh, that was something that we watched together. I mean, we bought whatever that did. I don't even remember does. I think was the detergent that had the <laughs> towel in it. I mean, if Dolly Parton said it, then it was gospel. Oh my goodness! And I and I loved Dolly Parton. And Dolly Parton, the love of Dolly Parton, led me to Patsy Cline, who I, I I still idolize in many ways. You know, part part of it was that um, country music really told a story in the same way that the blues does, mm-hmm. and it it was something that that felt soul stirring uh, mm-hmm. in in that way for me.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, what kinds of things were you interested in connecting with Will about for your book? Well, I really
1: loved your uh, your story about your grandmother because my grandmother in Chicago on the West Side also loved country music mm. and would also get a little well, she would get rasped for it sometimes as well mm-hmm. by her husband who was a jazz musician and you know her neighbors, everybody was oh yeah too cool for school, oh, yeah. but um, <laughs> you know, but for um, I think what I love talking to you about with. Um, in the beginning when I was still writing was just thinking about how much this music has meant to many people and sometimes we don't we haven't had the spaces to talk about that as part of our history so
2: yeah that's absolutely right I mean you know it's, it's uh, in, in many ways this is the last closet that I have come out of. <laughs> um, because because that was, uh, you know, the love of country music as a Black person, that was something that you, you really kept to yourself and kept in your very, very much inner circle of other country music fans. Yeah. I remember going to, uh, I remember um, when Garth Brooks came back on the tour circuit and came to Chicago, uh, I was so excited to go see him, and I couldn't think of anybody that would go with me. And then, yeah. of course, you know, when I, I, I mentioned it once, I mentioned it once, and it turned out that I was working with seven other black women at the Goodman who loved country music. Who and knew? we had never discussed wow. it, right? We had right. been working against it for like 10, 10 years almost, and Nobody had ever talked about it. And we went to that concert at the United Center in December. massive, massive sea of all these people and there were the seven of us and this one little black girl who was in front of us two rows down. We knew every song. We sang and we danced. People looked at us like we were aliens from another planet, but we had a great time. Wonderful.
1: I love that. I love that and I've definitely been that that person in the crowd too. And what about the uh,
2: Dixie Chicks? You've been to their concerts, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I could, you know, uh, you, you talked a little bit about uh, you t- talked a little bit about the origins of the music, Francesca. And, and one of the things that I that that I am really loving now about sort of this new generation of country music performers is uh, their passion for really talking about social justice issues within their music. Yes. And I think that that really started, with, for me, it started with the, with the Dixie Chicks.
1: Yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah. and thinking about like um, black artist Mickey Guyton, like her oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. using country music as a way of um, talking about and mourning, you know, the murder of George Floyd. Um, That's right. Indirectly, but still. Yes, um, absolutely. In her, yeah. in her social mm-hmm. media. Like, I do think that there are folks who are using country, and even though the ways that there's, like, racial politics and national politics baked in mm-hmm. as an opportunity mm-hmm. to um, talk about um, Violence and the violence of racism. I think that's really big and important. Right.
2: And and what's happening? And, the viola- oh, and violence ahead. against women. And violence, and against, violence women. against women. Yes. Really, as as well. And and now with somebody like uh, you know with a sort of the resurgence, if you will, or or I should yeah. say the the final recognition of Tracy Chapman. I think about you know yes. Amethyst Kaya, yes, who, who is is bringing this this queerness to the music as well. Yeah, yeah.
0: And what do we amazing. think about all of the chatter, if you will, that we've heard about uh, Beyonce? As though um, this has been completely um, something new for right. her when it and it, it really it really isn't. Along with uh, Little Nas X, what are you thinking about that, Francesca? When you hear people just so surprised that they would be leaning into country music. Yeah, well, um, in the same
1: way that Willa, I was talking about the naturalness of being a Texan and yes. being a country fan. Yes. Like, you know, Beyonce is also from Houston. Houston has right. so much exciting music going on. It has, like, country trap before Little Nas made, it, um, That's made right. it famous. You know, all kinds of stuff going on. So, um, yeah, I think that it does show the way that the... The marketing of music um, is not very deeply historically informed, and so it's almost like everything was just invented ten seconds ago. Yeah, um, and it's, yeah, good, that's it's right. good that I think that um, Beyonce is, you know, with Renaissance as well with the with her first Renaissance wow. and certainly with Lemonade. She's there's mm-hmm. always a dimension of looking backwards and yeah. giving us a chance to think about history and thinking about creativity in ways that are really uh, wide reaching so yeah I think that this music uh, that she's coming up with now with sixteen carriages and Texas Hold'em, I hope is um, a continuation of that historical digging in.
2: Absolutely, right. And well, because uh, we can't we can't forget about uh, Daddy Lessons, yes, you know, Daddy which Lessons, was, was which sure. was a great piece that she actually. I got to see uh, a performance of that with the Dixie Chicks, and that was. Uh, that was just amazing, I mean it's you know part of part of what I think people don't really appreciate about beyonce is her depth of knowledge around sort of musical genre and mm-hmm. her willingness to really dig into that and really incorporate that into the work that she's doing,
3: yeah,
1: and I'll say that um. That with Daddy Lessons, as well as with Texas Hold'em, there's really like this sense of a party. Like there's a sense that, yeah. you know, this is fun music. It's also, you know, it has a vexed history, but it's a music that we've been using to celebrate and to make that part of Black Joy, I think, is a really yeah, powerful thing.
2: Absolutely. That she's contributing. Absolutely.
0: All over. um Uh, Instagram, for sure, and probably TikTok, but I'm on Instagram a little bit more. Um, Folks are, you know, there's a Texas Hold'em dance. Have you seen that? Yes, I have. Yeah, Which I love, Uh and I I didn't know if people, like, people just into it because they loved it, or was this also their way of saying, we are totally down with Beyonce doing whatever kind of music she wants, and this, too, will go viral. I, I just love that. I see everyone, every age group doing the, the TikTok dance, so of course, I'm going to try to do it myself over the next several oh, weeks because, right. you know, oh, I, why not? Why not? <laughs> you know? wear your boots. Wear your boots. Well, you know, there's
1: been this movement, the Yeehaw agenda, for a while, you know, from, um, I guess, the... Uh, 20 teens at least, um, where there has been just this push to get content and creativity out about black country, black cowboys, mm-hmm. black western fast fashion, mm-hmm. and I think it was started by um, by someone in in Texas, I believe, <laughs> who um, when Little Nas X also um, came out, like there was a, a, an organized effort to create content that really puts it into context. And I think that that's also where we are now with the Beehive, like there's people who are organized and ready to make sure that, um, you know, we're in control of the narrative. Absolutely.
0: You know, I grew up um, when I was um, growing up, I started to ride horses and we went to a farm that was somewhere outside the city. I want to say maybe around Crete, Mm. but it was all it was run by black folks. Mm -hmm. There were Mm -hmm. black cowboys Mm -hmm. there. And we just don't hear much about them, you know, more recently. And people are surprised. What do you mean they were black? Of course they were black cowboys. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's so great. Like they're black Cowboys in the kind of Old West and they're black cowboys now. That's right. People right now, like the, I think in Chicago, is it the Broken Arrow Riding Club in um, in the Far South Side, I think is there and in Philadelphia, in Compton, um, you know, cities all over um, that I think it's like people who are sometimes from the South or people who just have a love of horses. And, um, you know, back in the old days when People use horses for transportation. There are these stables in major cities, mm-hmm. and there are folks who have worked hard to keep those stables going. Right, you know, within the city, and right. I think it's just a really, really great tradition.
2: Wonderful. You know, you know, I have to say that that um, as uh, as problematic as much of it is for me, one of the things that I really do appreciate about Taylor Sheridan and his sort of uh, Yellowstone empire was <laughs> his incorporation of black cowboys mm-hmm. into that work. I mm-hmm. mean, the, the production of, you know, um, uh, Bass Reeves, the, the new series that he has, which focuses on the black sheriff, but also Cowboys on the Ranch. And this, this notion for, for many people, I would imagine, who have uh I thought they knew the history of the country in mm-hmm. so many ways and certainly have learned a uh, very sort of whitewashed uh history of the country. That was probably the first time they ever saw uh black cowboys yes. working. Uh, for them, and so i, I truly appreciate that uh, it's it's a small step but but it's I think a significant step
1: yeah, totally and um just a shout out to um, Don Flemens, who is has made an album of black cowboys songs um he oh, nice. some of them are traditional songs and some of them are songs that he's made inspired by the history uh, but that um that album has been out for a couple of years and is a great soundtrack to the conversation
0: yeah. I'm just curious what has been the um, reaction uh, to the book uh, overall, and and what were your hopes for it? Um, was it really to encourage more folks to talk about, you know, black country music? Was it to really be... Um, something for folks like Willow who are already country music enthusiasts? What was your Mm -hmm. what was your intent? Yeah,
1: well, I think definitely encouraging people to talk about country music and to change the conversation instead of seeing it only in the terms of kind of white, white national nationalism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some of the ways that country is usually talked about or nostalgia, but to really think about, you know, what are the rules that keep Keep um, black creativity on the margins, and um, how is that baked into the music industry? And how can we like support black imagination and um, make it as wide-ranging as we can so that was kind of like the philosophical reason but also um, you know I've loved this music and it it um, I just wanted other people to enjoy too and I always a lot of what I write comes down to my daughter Cece who is 11 but I'm always thinking (laughs) about like I want her to be able to love and learn about whatever she wants and wherever her imagination takes her so sometimes she was the the force to keep me asking questions when I was writing the book but um, having the book out it's been a great opportunity to find people who didn't talk about black folks who didn't talk mm-hmm. about country music and find out that they also loved it and to give a space for it to also kind of heal some of the great migration you know trauma from the south because i think sometimes especially thinking about chicagoans sometimes we don't talk about um country identity and country music because Mm -hmm. it's connected to trauma and family trauma and you know healing that um traveling with the book in the south has been really um enlightening because um this feeling that country music has always been a part of our lives is still there for some of the folks that I talk to, like people in Durham, North Carolina and in Memphis. And, you know, some of the things that I that were a revelation in terms of the interconnection between blues and country and country soul. Like those are all things that people are making music. They're going to see music live. That's bringing all those things together. Like there's much more. Stuff that's available where black life and creativity is more alive than mm-hmm. maybe you might see in Chicago right. so and Willa does
0: and this book in, things- willa does this book encourage yeah. you to talk more about uh your love of country music
2: well it certainly encourages encourages me to to uh come out of that closet more and really talk uh, talk about it more uh, with people who don't know that side of me. But mm-hmm. I just I just want to say that one of the things that I think is so incredible about um, about sort of the ascendance of um, Tracy Chapman's, yes. uh, Luke's cover of Tracy Chapman's song and Beyonce, you know, this, this divide of music, the segmentation of music really is about racism and capitalism. Absolutely. And Mm-hmm. and and when we think about sort of the interconnectedness of country hillbilly blues um and we think of uh, performers like uh, Sister Rosetta Thorpe mm-hmm. and and Robert Johnson, you know, that that all stems from, from sort of black music. Yes. And I'm so glad you, t- you talked so much about the banjo, right? Because the banjo is an African instrument.
0: Abs- absolutely. Yes. Yes. Well, Willa, thank you so much for joining us today on Living Out Loud. I know you could talk about this for a lot longer. But i excited to have your perspective on this and, yeah, um, and thank you for writing that book
1: oh thank you Willa thank you I Damn. actually owe you for it so thanks <laughs> Thanks so much
0: Willa I'll see you soon thank you <laughs> right. right. Bye. <laughs> um, so we're gonna come back and talk a little bit more about some of your other books sure. some of your other projects going on I'm gonna make a few announcements you're listening to living out loud and we're back in a moment Torres. And when I'm in Chicago, I listen to Mary Morton on WCPT, 820 AM. Thank you, Gina Torres. And she will be back on television for sure in the fall on her show, nine eleven 11 Lone Star. Speaking of Texas, yeah, speaking just can't Texas. get away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, yeah, I'm really excited to uh, also have a, a podcast that is out uh, now uh, that we um, recorded a little while ago with Gina Torres, who's a lovely, lovely human being. Um, but so excited to have you uh, with us today Francesca and learn so much oh um, want to talk a little bit about what what you have coming down the pike because yeah. you have another book that that uh you're you're talking about quite a bit now as well that was released when um
1: choosing family yes choosing family um it was released in March of 2023
0: okay so, so yeah. this is choosing family a memoir of queer motherhood and black resistance which I thought yeah. that was an interesting uh, title mm-hmm. um you know in terms of motherhood and black resistance and mm-hmm. would love for you to talk a little bit about that yeah for
1: sure well um you know becoming a mother through adoption late in life uh, with my partner annie has been just later a, just later, later in life later late. that's yes, right Later, right, right. Mm-hmm. we're still going to be here for at least yes. 100 more years uh-huh. so um but yeah it's been a really important um place for me to think about uh like living for the future and what you know what how i want to kind of build that future and um all the things all the forms of resistance and creative creativity that i have learned from my mother and for her mother my great-grandmother in especially in terms of making a way you know when the world is against you Um, and over and over again in my family i saw that as um, that strategy was by making connections with other family, with folks who are who you know you don't have blood relationships to, and really always thinking about a kind of chosen family and so, um the book is partly about that history and about the legacy of these mothers making a way out of no way, and then the experience of raising um, my daughter c. Um, and the process of adoption together with Annie and with our our chosen family, which I would include you, Mary. Thank you. You know, and how we really need each other in this particular historic moment. Um, So that's what the book is about. It stops when CC is six because uh, I really feel like the story is also her story, and I don't want to, you know, take over her That's story right. and right. own it. But, right. um, but it was just a really, this time period of being a mother, becoming a mother, was just a real, really profound change for me in terms of being present to history and really thinking intentionally about how I want to be in the world.
0: Incredible. And where, where are you with the, um, the book in terms of promoting it? Where can people learn more about it and I'm sure we can get it at our favorite independent uh, bookstore, feminist bookstore, Women and Children First. Yes, yes, you totally
1: can. Um, Yeah, I had a chance to do a reading um, at Women and Children First. I've been doing some online um, readings as well and, um, you know, just trying to get it out there. I think with memoirs, sometimes it's, um, there's such a sea of memoirs out there, so, you know, getting it in there is important. Um, I really actually hope to talk to more young people with the book too Um, I've used it as uh, a way of talking about writing and and encouraging like in my classes and stuff and encouraging people to be vulnerable in their writing Um, and the book after this um, that I'm working on now is uh, a book about um, music as a form of healing um, and thinking about my relationship with my mother Uh, But thinking about music and motherhood in the black diaspora and how those things have come together in different historic places like Salvador Brazil or in Port-au-Prince Haiti or um, you know New Orleans which is where so I've been sort of traveling and writing and trying to um, listen to music and think about all those things coming together
0: and when do we when when we will when will we let me try that again when will we see that book well
1: I'm right in the middle of writing it
0: so I hope
1: that um, in the next two or three years two or three years that book will be you know
0: and so you're doing research you're traveling yes and you're also Doing some of the writing yes, as you go along, okay. And writing at once, and okay. Listening. Yes, listening, and then you're also teaching and being a partner and a parent. Yes, yes well, all those all things, because that that's that's how we roll. That's exactly. right. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for all you're doing and contributing uh, to making sure that we can preserve our history. It's so oh, important. Thank you so much. This so is important. Such a, such a joy. Thank
1: Absolutely. You,
0: and I and before we close, I want to make a few just a few short announcements about some things you should be aware of. Uh, first of all, I just want to say we have a you know it's. Really really important that people go out and vote. If you've not voted with early voting, uh, March 19th, please, please go to the polls. It's very important. We have a very um, important uh, Cook County State's Attorney's uh, race that is happening between Eileen O'Neill Burke and Clayton Harris. And uh, I'll just say that um, Eileen O'Neill Burke just received a major influx of over $800,000 from Republicans. And I mm-hmm. think we know that when Republicans are, are supporting Democratic candidates, there's a particular reason why. Mm-hmm. Uh, so please do some research on that. I personally will be voting for Clayton Harris and would encourage you to do so as well. And I also want to just take a moment and and mention um, Chantel, Chantel um, Jameson, who used to be our, um, was our producer and helped us get started on Living Out Loud, um, has been doing an incredible um, awareness march, a breast cancer awareness march for um, 10 years. And she's been doing it with two friends, Janetta and Tanisha, and they've gotten some um, Foundation support in the last year, which is really wonderful. Thank you, Field Foundation. Uh, and it's taking it to the streets. It is abbreviated as T-I-T-T-S, and I won't be saying that word on, <laughs> on the radio, and Devin's very happy about that. Um, but they've been doing this for over 10 years. They're, they're going to have a Luncheon for Survivors in May. Wow. And so I want people to, to check that out. They're at www.zeffy.com. You can go there and learn more about it, make a donation. Again, they're trying to have a, um, um, a brunch for survivors. And, and what's wonderful about this walk is that it is a walk. In south side communities right mm-hmm. so it's not along the lakefront which is wonderful but it's directly in the community right so right. you're gonna see these folks um, you know just walking down the street really bringing awareness to making sure you get your mammogram making sure you do all the things to to stay healthy and then last but certainly not least I want to take a moment and um, I'm, I'm really pleased and proud to be on the board for sisters in cinema uh, this is a project of Yvonne Welbin's uh, that started many many years ago but now now, uh, Sisters in Cinema is is really becoming this uh, live, up close and personal um, media art center that we can go and touch. Um, and so, I want folks to keep in mind that uh, the opening is coming up um, March fifteenth through the sixteenth. Go to Sisters and Cinema, Sisters uh, The media art center is at twenty three ten East Seventy fifth Street. It's going to be such an incredible addition to the community of South Shore, mm-hmm. but really have citywide impact for women and non-binary folks to go and create uh, films and and to get support. Something, you know, that we always need. So want to say congratulations to Yvonne Welbin. I will be there, and I know many of my other friends will be and, and encourage you all to check it out. But in the meantime, thank you again thank so much, Mary. Francesca, for being here. And best. we will see you next week on Living Out Loud. The preceding program, Living Out Loud, was sponsored by Morton Group,
3: LLC, and to the extent applicable, their guests. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of NewsWeb Radio Company or its management.